So hello everyone and thank you for coming to our photo book book group and I'm Jacebella Smith and I'm going to um, jump into our book, but I just wanted to do a couple of housekeeping things. Um, for the first time, I'm not at my house nor my studio. I'm actually house sitting. So we've had a few glitches in getting all of our things together, but it looks like we're good. Uh, and with a lot of wind the other day and it knocked out all of our internet, but, but we're back up and running. Um, and I am borrowing something from India Beale. You'll see it in our chat. She was our guest uh, last month and she made the point of asking our audience to do something uh, right from the beginning, which was to actually follow uh, the people who are bringing you this educational opportunity on our social media platforms. So we would appreciate if you would follow mine, which are under Jay Sibilla and Mark's, which are both under his name, Mark Alice Durant, and St. Lucie books, um, because that's how we grow our community and we support each other. So I appreciate that. Um, you should have no noise outside because I'm not in my studio. Um, and right now what we're going to do, everyone is muted for the moment. Um, Mark and I will have an unscripted conversation. We are lucky to have some of the participants in the book also be on the call. So we'll pretty much put ourselves into three parts um, where we'll have this conversation and I have some slides and quotes from the book uh, to spark our conversation. And then I'd love to um, have the people that are in the book uh, join our conversation. And then lastly, open it up to everyone and do questions and answers. Um, Deb Hemley is my media coordinator and she's on the call and she will be monitoring our chat. And we do put resources in the chat um, because every conversation brings up other things to follow. Um, the, the normal uh, course for us here um, is we put together a summary so that you will receive, as you registered, you will receive an email that has both the recording and a summary that bullet points what comes up because we never know what that's going to be and some of the resources. So just so that you know that that's also coming your way. So I'm going to introduce Mark. Um, Mark first wrote uh, and interviewed artists on his online journal, St. Lucie, uh, much like this, unscripted conversations with visual creatives. And then St. Lucie books grew from that just four years ago now, 2017. And I love what he writes about why or how St. Lucie, uh, the publishing entity thinks. It's to publish idiosyncratic books that combine words and images to investigate and celebrate the marginal, hidden, and parallel histories of photography. I, I love that concept. And it's interesting that this book follows our discussion with David Campany and on photographs, because in his book, as in yours, Mark, the histories are going in both ways, and there's a lot of cross currents. So I like that this isn't linear or one way. Um, so since 2017, you've published five books. Hidden Mother by Laura Larson was shortlisted for the Aperture Paris Photo Book Awards. And I love that I learned you have a performance background and your extensive writing focuses as has been quoted on your uh, one of your websites, the nexus, you focus on the nexus of photography, 
performance, and cultural phenomena. You're a professor at the University of Maryland. Your photographs and installations have been internationally exhibited. I understand that this book grew out of a derailed exhibition idea. And over time, it grew, as you note and, and talk about, photographs invite other photographs, one to the other. And all of a sudden, you had a very crowded field and decided this needed to be a book. And I really appreciate that because basically I talk about this a lot with people I work with. You're in conversation with your work and when you listen, the work leads the way. And you took the time, which is also uh, something that people feel pressure to produce and, and some things need to uh, evolve. And then that lost opportunity supposedly grew into this really large one. Um, I also appreciate how generous you are and collaborative in your work. And you really, in, in this book, created a space for viewers to have their own narrative space. And I thought it's very similar to Odette England's book, Keeper of the Hearth, that this book too, it welcomes a different view every time you open it because your narrative is going to change. So it's uh, it's just something that you'll come back to again and again. Uh, and each time it's a different story. So welcome, Mark. And I, uh, I did surprise you by quoting something that's not from your book and not telling you that. <laughs> but this, uh, what we see on the screen, meaning to be useful must be marked, uh, came out of a discussion that I found because I was looking into Pope L, who I didn't know uh, as much about. And I was listening to a gallery talk and it's Adrian Edwards that was interviewing him. And I just thought this really gave an umbrella to a lot of the things that you explore in the book. So I'm gonna go to our next slide, but just welcome you into telling us what happened in that place where all those photographs gathered and, and how you decided to, uh, to make this, this lovely compilation. Uh, well, thanks for having me. It's really an honor to be here and thanks for everybody to everyone for joining today. Um, I hope that you can get something out of it and I hope that you can join in the conversation later on. Um, so yeah, the book is, um, you know, as Sibella, you know, uh, said, started as an idea for an exhibition. I was invited to proposed an exhibition at a small museum. And um, I uh, came up with a couple of ideas and one of them had to do with um, uh, performative photographs and videos having to do with bodies running and falling, I believe. And, um, and um, maybe floating, I can't remember. <laughs> and anyway, so I made this proposal, I was really into it. Um, it included John Devola, Tabitha Soren, uh, William Lamson, uh, Lily McElroy, um, whose work you know um, I've written about before, uh, especially her project that I throw myself at men, which is one of my favorite you know pieces um, of work. Um, and uh, the Israeli uh, artist uh, Sigalit Landau, uh, who did this beautiful piece called Dead Sea of her floating in this sort of unraveling kind of spiral amongst um, these uh, 
watermelons, uh, which unravels over time. And she's like floating on the salt water of the Dead Sea. Um, and it's, it's uh, shot from above. Um, I think it's probably about a 20 minute or a half an hour video. And I saw it in an exhibition in Philadelphia uh, a number of years ago, and I just never could get it out of my mind. And I thought, well, if I can, you know, represent that, um, that piece, that would be fantastic. So anyway, uh, I put together that show um, and for various reasons, it didn't happen, nothing bad. It just that the, the director of the museum left um, to take another position. And so it was in limbo for a while and it never occurred. And, um, you know, it wasn't tragic, but I, I, uh, I kept thinking about it, right? And I thought to myself, I, I proposed it to a couple of other institutions, but again, I don't know, it was, maybe it was too eccentric or something like that. So, um, so I just, you know, just occupied some shadowy space in my mind for a couple of years. Um, and it would just, every once in a while, I would sort of creep out and say, we're still here, you know? And of course, uh, once, I mean, I don't know, I'm sort of stubborn and I just think once I have an idea, I'm like that, you know, I, it's almost like I'm justifying myself. Like, oh, that needs to be in the world somehow, right? Or I'm co constantly um, testing it in some way, like, does this need to be seen in some way? You know, should I repropose it to, to another institution? And the thing about proposing, um, you know, to curate an exhibition is that the uh, the lag, the lead time is so long. So you're, you know, you're proposing to an institution. Maybe it'll happen two years from now, right? Um, so, and then there's fundraising involved and that kind of thing, and budgets and that sort of thing. And, and in the meantime, um, I guess it was around the time that I had started St. Lucie Books. Um, and I don't know, it just, one day I'm literally laying on the couch and I just thought, this is the beauty, I never take naps, but you know, <laughs> when I do, they seem to work. I mean, it's really, people say that, but you know, um, I kind of like was laying there in this sort of, you know, semi-conscious state. And I thought, book, <laughs> running, falling book. Um, and so um, I, I I just sat up and I, and I just said, I'm doing a book, that's it. And so then, I just started thinking about what would it entail? What would it encompass? And um, so making decisions about um, the concept um, and then also, um, you know, what would be in there. I'm always interested in the sort of the broad, the wide spectrum of photographic activity. Um, I like commercial pho photographs and I like fashion photographs and I like documentary photography and I like vernacular photography and conceptual photography and fine art photography. and. Um, and uh, I wanted, so I wanted it to embrace all of that, right? And not be, and um, and I also thought that I didn't want to be the um, kind of authoritarian, authoritative voice around this material either. So it suddenly occurred to me that um, I should have many voices, that as there are many images from many artists and many, many different types of artists, that I should have uh, similarly uh, many different types of writers. So it was really just a process of like, looking and gathering and letting it sort of stew together and you know editing and um and then approaching um artists um galleries sometimes you know because there are some canonical photographs in the in the book like by cortege and carrie callahan and the uh, francesca woodman and you know you have to get permission from you know mm -hmm. those you know those estates um and then i all of the uh contemporary artists were completely like you know, agreeable and, you know, excited. And then I, um, you know, I began to approach writers, both writers that I knew and writers that I didn't know, but I respected that again, sort of 
represented a, a variety of approaches to text. You know, so there were poets and fiction writers and critics and art historians um, and curators. And so um, that's how it began and that's how it kind of unfolded. Wow, I can tell you that it's really interesting because you're echoing things that came up with uh, our last guest. And it's, I really want to underscore um, the more is more and the expansiveness. And what you're telling me even in that story is I'm thinking that you open windows and doors and you let things come in in different directions. And that idea of the porousness I hope is where we're going. Um, the types of photographs that you talked about liking, I completely understand because I have that width of interest and things I, I hope as we move forward are less categorized and less authoritative. I think we're moving out of that time when it is who's the best or what is the best. I actually think there's really no use for that. And uh, anyone who follows me, I talk about this often, uh, especially in a lot of the institutions and systems and how we think that we have gone for many, many uh, decades, uh, if and of course it's longer, but in this authoritative is like good, better, best. It's this vertical way of looking at things and some people are here. And I actually think that the way to look is this way and that there is so much richness and our interconnectivity is our strength. And there isn't a best when you look like this. And the, the theory behind it is rhizomatic thinking, right? It's this idea of our interconnectivity. And I think that you, um, you embrace that. Um, and to well, me, that's yeah. I mean, exciting. I would just like to, yeah. I mean, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, that's both aesthetic um, and uh, it's also political in a sense, right? I yes. mean, I'm kind of like I'm democratic um, in terms of I'm interested in the democracy of photography. That's why one of the reasons I love photography is that it is ubiquitous and that it sort of um, it's sort of inextricably bound in all aspects of culture and history, uh, mm -hmm. at least since 1839. And so. Um, I love that about photography. I love that it goes in all directions. And I just want to say that, you know, um, just as an aside, you know, I went to Massachusetts College of Art in the photography department in the early 1980s. And, um, you know, it was very um, formal, shall we say. And, um, you know, I was literally asked to leave the photo department because I didn't bow down to Walker Evans sufficiently. So I just, <laughs> I've always been sort of like, um, you know, oh. I, I, Canon is important to me. I love Cortez, you know, I love Harry Callahan. But, you know, there's, there are so many things, other things, right? And so yes. um, I'm not interested in that sort of master work um, sort of canon, right? I mean, I think it's useful um, to think about it, to study it, but it's certainly not the only uh, part. I mean, that's not the most influential parts of photography. It's, that's a very rarefied and narrow sort of... Um, practice of photography. And so I'm more interested. So anyway, so the performative nature of how performance has influenced photography and vice versa, you know, since the 1960s is also something I'm very much interested in. And I hope to, um, that's a kind of subtext in the book. Um, mm. There's the famous image of, uh, you know, Eve Klein leap into the void, uh, which mm -hmm. is early on in the book. And mm -hmm. um, that sort of, um, where is it here? If you don't mind, I'll, I'll just, find um, it. No, I'm looking with you. Um, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
It is early. I also think this is, we'll talk about performative. I also love this image for leaping into the book. Yeah, Yeah. this is a, this is a fake photograph. I mean, it's really two photographs that are featured together in the early 1960s, although it's completely seamless. I, you know, it's like obviously way Mm pre-Photoshop, but the idea is that the sort of this gesture of, of abandon is, you know, is a kind of lie. Um, And it's a joke as well. He's making a joke about, um, this sort of romanticism around like the abstract abstract expressionists and this sort of, I will sacrifice my life for my art. Um, but that spirit, the sort of, um, uh, you know, I don't know, kind of playful, sarcastic, sardonic spirit is something that I think, you know, I'm very much interested in. And like that, that, that also that energy, right. That, um, that, that a photograph can be a kind of device to open up ideas that are sort of conceptual and performative. It's not just about the decisive moments or, you know, the mm. fine art photograph. Um, and so anyway, I'm, I'm sort of rambling at this point. But You are rambling right alongside me because these are things I think about and write about and teach about. And Harold, uh, yes, it's they are portals, right? And there is not one way to read a photograph, anyone's photograph. Um, Can I just so, say that, you know, the image that people are looking at is by mm-hmm. Maura Biava. Thank you. Who, who's an yep. Italian artist uh, who works in the, uh, the Netherlands. Um, she's really a, a, a interdisciplinary artist and uh, she, she's made some photographs early on in the uh, t- 1990s and early 2000s. Uh, she's primarily a sculptor, but she made these photographs of herself, you know, in these, as these sort of under, underwater sort of goddess images, um, which are mythological and playful and um, just, I just think are sort of fantastic and um, so, and they play, I, I know you and I have talked about the idea of this sort of flow and sequence in the book, right? Mm-hmm. So that the way that this image speaks to Harry Callahan's Eleanor, for instance, was really important to me. So this image kind of follows that and sort of leads through towards other gestures. So there's a kind of gestural quality in yes. the book and the sequencing, yep. which a lot, has a lot to do with how I, what I've learned in performance. Yes, and I'm going to bring that back up as a topic, um, sequencing, um, and some of other uh, other art forms that really speak to it and that we can learn from. And I just have to laugh when you said that you didn't bow down to Walker Evans. I um, I did some uh, dabbling in graduate work, uh, and I took a class at Harvard Extension, and it was taught on the history of photography. It was as if there was a date to when different period ends, like April 25th, if you, you know, after that date, you are now a pictorialist. And after this date, you are a blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really? And then I took a class and I took it twice uh, at the museum school. Jim Dow taught a class called um, the history of photography through ideas. And I was like, I'm home. Like, this is how I think. And it's really, really wonderful. So I love seeing how you you bring that to book form. Um, let's see if I can get this to advance. Um, so I, I think one of the things that we unpack when we talk often in the photo book book group is this idea of what is a photograph. Um, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, so this was written in the book, but Jean was quoting Aaron Siskin saying, each man, and I wrote in the sick, uh, he once said, is an essence and a symbol. And I just wondered what you, thought about that like if you could 
tell us something about how your definition of a photograph has evolved? Well, um, Jean is here, I think. Well, I saw her oh, earlier, great. so maybe she could speak to this um, um, later. But um, for me, that is, you know, so there's a duality in photography, right? I mean, there is, um, you know, what Roland Barthes talks about, the kind of like, um, the sort of, uh, I don't know, the kind of quality of an individual like that, that's specific to that person, that specificity is photography is all about specificity you know it's not if i make a drawing of a tree nobody's going to say oh that tree they're going to say mark can't draw a tree <laughs> right but if i take a photograph of a tree you know somebody would be oh that tree you know that oak tree or that maple tree right um there's specificity it's all about i mean photography is all about specificity um but you know um the specific can become the symbolic right obviously you know in in, in a discursive sense right so um, photographs have a kind of, you know, they're anchored in the everyday in that sense that they're an essence or a fragment of time and of, uh, you know, of, of who we are in our world. Um, but that can be transformed into the symbolic. So when somebody like Siskind was all, you know, he, he um, as Jean talks about so eloquently in her essay, you know, um, um, Siskin went from being a kind of a documentary photographer to a kind of more abstract, symbolic, uh, fine art photographer. Um, so he moved from the specific, the kind of, you know, critical or, or the critique, if you will, of social documentary to a kind of symbolic realm, right? Um, mm -hmm. He was influenced by and in turn influenced the abstract expressionists um, in the 40s and 50s. So. Um, you know, he was really interested in the symbol. And so it's taking these human bodies, these specific individual bodies are jumping into Lake Michigan and isolating them. So they're just floating in the air. They become these kind of glyphs, right? These kind of symbolic mm -hmm. gestural um, bodies that, you know, are communicating something about abandon or freedom or fear or whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, again, I think Jean can really speak to that. Maybe she will. Yeah, I'm just gonna pull this up really fast just for an example of one of the siskins um i i appreciate what you talked about in terms of the um the duality and the specificity because yeah we can't generalize in the same way that you would from a drawing or something uh but you also made me think of um uh there was another part of what you were talking about. Oh, that I think one of the reasons why I pulled this quote is because the very nature of your book is trying to, it's a real interesting talk about duality, suspension. Uh, you're trying to freeze something that's in motion, right? If you're crawling or falling or running or floating, that's motion and you're, taking a static medium to try to give us that. And so for me, it's this duality. And I think that's why I, I was thinking about um, the irony of like using photography, which freezes time momentarily when the actuality is that's 
in absolutely nobody's control. It's actually impossible. So like that kind of backward running uh, along with what you're, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the medium and the essence of the subject. And I think that that's a real tension and it's exciting how you, um, you embraced it, embracing the void, like you embraced this idea. And uh, yeah, it, it made me think of many, many things. And Can I read uh, something real quick? Yes, please. So um, Kim Beale, who's a photo historian, teaches at Stanford, a wonderful writer. Um, she wrote a, a great essay that closes the book about Raymond Meek's photographs. Um, mm -hmm. But I use a quote from it. It's actually the first quote as the book opens. And the book yes. opens with a couple of... Uh, Moybridge images mm -hmm. um, with a poll quote from Kim Beale and uh, the poet Diane Seuss, mm -hmm. who's amazing. You all should check her out. But, um, but I just want to say that the, so what you're talking about right now is very much, I mean, I think that uh, Kim really captures it in this, in this quote. And she says, at the apogee of a free fall, of free fall, a body is briefly weightless, but photographs can transform every point along an arc into its zenith. Their stillness affords us time to see the glowing edges of things, the beauty of form, the quiet instead of the clanging insistence of passing time and the rushing air of free fall. In pictures, the present is unclouded by ardent dreams of the future. In these few suspended moments, we are heroic, winged. And I, you know, it's, it's a pretty dramatic kind of uh, quote, but I just love it. I just think it in many ways it captured the spirit of what I was hoping would unfold in the book. Well, you did. I mean, all you have to do is open, it is the very first duo. And I fully knew I was in for a treat. Like I was falling into something that I was really going to, uh, to enjoy. And this is again, a quote I pulled from the book um, because of talking about like the slippery nature uh, as David Campany would say of um, photography. We know so little from a photograph just by looking at it, impressions, projections, intimations, surmises. So I love that again, you, you open it to question. You're not giving it a, a, a complete read. Can I just um, comment on that real quick? Sure. In that quote, which is just that, you know, David Levi Strauss, obviously, who is one of the, you know, more most esteemed uh, writers about photography uh, of our era, um, and who I, somebody who I've known for a long time, and um, I really wanted him to be in the book, and he said yes. Um, and he wrote about this book. It's a very uh, this uh, photograph, very famous image by Susan Mizelis from her uh, Nicaragua series. Mm -hmm. And we think we know a lot about the history of Nicaragua or the Nicaraguan Revolution, and uh, particularly if we know anything about photographic history, we probably know Mizelis's book. It's a very very important book. Um, and, uh, you know, what Levi does is to kind of revisit this photograph um, in light of what happened to Nicaragua post-revolution. 
and the kind of betrayal of the revolutionary ideals by Daniel Ortega uh, and the Sandinista movement itself. And it's tragic, right? And, and tells the story about what happens to this person, you know, in the mm -hmm. photograph, right? Who's running across the street so heroically, um, you know, fighting, you know, the good fight against, you know, an oppressive regime. I mean, it's a, it's a very romantic image. Um, and he sort of digs, and so, I don't know, I, I just speak for myself. I mean, I've projected all kinds of things onto that image over the years. And um, so Levi talked to Mizalis, got a, little, a lot of information about the history of that image, when it was taken and what happened to that person um, and what happened in the uh, Nicaragua in the ensuing years. And so it really does kind of, you know, play against the kind of the symbolic and the kind of, um, yeah, what we project upon an image Absolutely. and what and what our illusions are about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is so challenging in terms of reading a photograph and understanding a more 360 view of who is taking it, when are they taking it, what's in the frame, what's outside the frame. And this spoke um, very poignantly to me because in 1988, I actually went and lived with families in the war zone in Nicaragua. And I'm quite familiar with uh, uh, what was going on. I put myself in the middle of it and in an irony and we won't go down that path, but that's actually where I met my husband. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot more in a photograph um, than meets the eye. So then now I've put up the uh, John Davola. And if you wanna speak about this body of work, which really plays with performance and photography, uh, Sure. I mean, I just want to say, uh, just to backtrack a little bit, um, you've mentioned David Campany a couple of times because uh, he was your most recent guest. Yeah. Just and uh, I'm a fan of David. In fact, David wrote about um, John. Yeah, he's in the book. Yes. Book. <laughs> um, so just to, I, I didn't mention this. So when I put together a PDF of the of the images I wanted to use in the book, mm -hmm. um, a very rough PDF. And I sent it to writers and I asked them to choose an image or a group of images uh, to respond to, or to just really, you don't have to even write about a specific image, just write about the idea of running, falling, flying, and or floating cr and crawling uh, in, in a general sense, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so I sent it out to maybe about 20 or so writers. Um, and uh, David immediately uh, chose uh, Davola. I mean, he had written something for Davola on for one of his catalogs recently. So it sort of makes sense. He was very kind of immersed in Davola's world. Mm -hmm. So uh, in what he wrote about, um, I just want to finish my thought. So some, um, when, I, when I got back the, what the writers wanted to write about, and again, I didn't give them any direction. I uh, just said, I gave them a, a word limit and a due date, that's it. And I let them write whatever they wanted. Um, some came back, like no one wanted to write about, no one volunteered to write about like um, Larry Sultan swimmers, for instance, right? And nobody had this, uh, chosen to um, write about um, Gideon Mendel's submerged portraits. So uh, both of which are, are really important bodies of work, um, I think, and to me and uh, to the book. And um, so then I, I approached specific writers, uh, in this case, Odette England for Larry Sultan and Jane Marshing for Gideon Mendel, because I really wanted there to be text associated 
with those with those pieces. I didn't tell them what to write. Again, I just gave them a word count, a word limit, and a date, due date. Mm -hmm. So, for the most part, the writers chose what they wanted to write about. Um, but in a couple of cases, I asked you know them, and they they were graceful enough to accept the challenge and did an amazing job. Yes, and actually, it's interesting, but I pulled both of those images or a image uh, from both those series to be in yeah. our, yeah, uh, to yeah. take just 12 images was a challenge, but yeah. those two are in here because it really did speak to me as well. But just to speak to the John Devola, so mm -hmm. Devola, when he turned, I mean, John Devola uh, is just a terrific artist. I mean, he's just voracious and funny and playful. Um, you know, he's just, is always, he's still working. He's just never stopped working. He's very prolific. Um, and his work is very performative. Like his, his most famous work probably is these color photographs that he made and these sort of abandoned uh, structures near the beach uh, in California in the eighties, which he spray painted and lit in various ways to make these kind of, you know, it's very early on in the kind of like explosion of color photograph photography in the, in, in the 1980s. And those are wonderful. But I love his sort of more stripped down kind of almost slapstick photographs. And this is a series he did called As Far As I Could Get. When he turned 50, um, he would go, he went into these various landscapes in the desert and the city and all over the place um, and put the, uh, the camera on a self timer, you know, and then ran as fast as he could away from the camera. And the, the, the picture, the camera took the picture of him running away from the camera. I mean, there's so much fun in that, like mm -hmm. running away from photography, right? <laughs> running away from aging, running away from time, and you're always caught in it. I mean, anyway, so it's a very, it's a great series. And, um, and David Campany wrote about um, uh, Devola's work in relationship to both um, slapstick comedy, uh, I think Buster Keaton and um, uh, Samuel Beckett. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the absurd yeah. of theater of the absurd. And so it's a really terrific piece of writing. So actually, I pulled a quote uh, that's not in here, but from that, uh, where he also um, brought in Chart. And he talked about Tavola using um, photography to turn the camera back on photography and sure. are we freezing suspending this is david in a quote um uh he said to t the quote is to turn the camera back on photography we are freezing suspending time when we all know it cannot be stopped absolutely yeah yeah really amazing okay hang on there we go um yeah this is what you got. There's nothing to hold on to, no form, no structure to resist the infinite floating and falling. It's really wonderful to, uh, to feel the movement in the writing. It's very uh, fluid and beautiful. Um, and I think it's really wonderful to have other art forms riff on something. It's so eclectic what people wrote about, you know, from personal to fantasy, um, they're woven together. It's, um, I think you did capture that duality, that both directions, something solid and something stationary with something fluid and unable to be stopped. And you just kind of messed with it <laughs> over and over. Um, really successfully speaking of which so do you want to speak about this 
Um, I'll just say on a, I have a personal story about this. Um, I went to the San Francisco Art Institute as a graduate student and uh, Larry Sultan was my teacher. Um, and I became his assistant for a while. I printed some pictures for him, not these. Um, I, picked, I printed uh, pictures from home. As, um, I didn't do anything super fancy. I just basically, basically made work prints for him. But, um, and then, you know, when I, after I graduated, we remained friends. And uh, so he was, I was very close to Larry and admired him very much. Um, but uh, early on, when I, I think it was in my first year of school, graduate school, and Larry was running the seminar, he brought in these pictures of uh, his swimmers and uh, he had never shown them. Um, he had just, his um, book Evidence that he did with Mike Mandel had been out and it was the sort of beginning of what was eventually called postmodernism. Um, and Evidence was a really important book in the sort of development of the ideas around appropriation um, and how photographs are inherently uh, tied to language, like without language, without being anchored in language that photographs float away, they become, free-floating signifiers, you know, as mm -hmm. to use Bart's term. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, he brought in these pictures of uh, uh, people in swimming pools and he talked about how he was tormented by them uh, in the sense that um, he loved them and loved making them and thought they were really beautiful, but he thought they were too romantic. And uh, now that he was considered a postmodernist, <laughs> that he was like almost afraid to show them. Um, and I found that really, I mean, the dilemma of that mm. um, and uh, was really interesting to me. Um, and he didn't, I mean, it's not that they haven't been shown, but they're seldom shown, right? Um, and I think, you know, for me that this, his revealing his, um, his insecurity around them, um, for me was very deeply informative. I learned a lot from Larry about being an artist and being a teacher and many things. Um, mm -hmm. But that moment was really, I mean, and so the, the questions that he raised and showing his insecurity and asking questions about, can I show these photographs? Asking his students that um, was like so empowering. And it was like very revelatory for me. And so not to mention the photographs are completely gorgeous, you know, yes. just like sensuous and sensual and uh, they're just beautiful and uh, romantic. I just, 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 I love them so much. Um, and, um, so anyway, I just I had to have them in the photo. <laughs> well, in the it's interesting, right? Because you're you're describe that's great to hear that backstory because basically he was tied in in his own expectations or others' expectations of him, which was yeah. really limiting his creative practice or process, which is a very interesting flip side to this idea when people are known, they become known for what they're known for, and it can actually inhibit the boundaries that they could, they could actually go against. It's interesting, well, right? Yeah, no, for real. I mean, I don't know that he was inhibited. I think that Larry was rigorous. I mean, he was an intellectual, right? Um, and um, he didn't want to have the work fall into any kind of uh, sentimental um, mm -hmm. kind of realm. So he was very careful about what he released into the world. And, mm -hmm. but I would argue that um, right after these swimmer photographs, he, he was working on um, what became pictures from home, which are, you know, portraits of his parents uh, in Southern California. Mm -hmm. um, and I would argue that there's, I mean, those are pretty rigorous uh, photographs. Um, some of them are even un, you know, unflinching, but mm -hmm. 
there's a beauty and elegance to them that I think that he took from the swimmer series that sort of mm. kind of filtered in, if you will, to mm -hmm. those photographs. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's a completely personal, you know, take on it, but that's my impression. Well, it's interesting. I, um, I worked on, um, a pen exhibit that traveled from the Smithsonian and, um, that was indicative in his creative process over the years that this one work would inform the next work. And if you look at it retrospectively, you can see that conversation. Um, and, and it was, it was an interesting aspect to, um, to consider in, in, in his work. Uh, he yeah. really wove that together, um, beautifully. So now we know that, um, Larry did too. So Pope Al, wow, this quote, really got me. Um, our ancestral antecedents crawled for a long time along the surface of the ground and along the surface of things that grew from it, crawled until we became mammals, and then finally began to put some space between our bellies and the earth. Such a profound uh, statement when you think of that embodiment and then what Pope L is doing uh, with his work, which is uh, something that I really went on to investigate uh, as a result of the book, because I didn't know the extent of this. Um, it's an so, amazing. Yeah. So Seth Rodney just want to, first of all, he's a, he's a terrific writer um, uh, based in New York and he, um, he writes a lot for uh, hyperallergic, um, mm -hmm. so you can check him out there. Um, and so, uh, you know, when I sent the PDF to him, he chose Pope L. And um, so Pope L is a, you know, he's a kind of comes from performance, um, but, you know, he does installations and sculptures and that kind of thing. He's had a lot of uh, success over the last five or six years. I think there was it at the Whitney he had a, uh, was it the Whitney? I'm not sure. Yes, it was. I think it was the mm -hmm. Whitney. Um, had a, a retrospective a couple of years ago. Um, anyway, he's been doing these uh, um, extended uh, performative pieces. Um, mostly, he's done a lot of different ones, but he's been doing these crawling pieces. I don't know if he does them anymore, but for many years, he's doing these crawling pieces, crawling as a businessman, crawling as Superman, crawling, um, you know, the length of Manhattan, not all at once, but incrementally, like mm -hmm. one, one day he'll do a few blocks and then next week he'll do a few more blocks. And then, so wanting to crawl the entire length of uh, Manhattan. Um, and so obviously to see, you know, an African-American man on the ground, you know, um, you know, passing amongst, you know, or in the canyons of the, you know, the, the financial center of, of the world um, has some kind of symbolic meaning, right? Um, he's playing with the idea of objection, abjection, um, but also kind of self-empowerment, right? Because sometimes he's dressed as a businessman, sometimes he's dressed as Superman, and it's funny, you know, it's just kind of this hilarity to it, but then it's also people object to it, you know, it's like performance in real life, um, it renegotiates in the moment, you know, the social contract, like we don't do certain things like this, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is not how we behave in civilized society. So performance is, you know, an immediate challenge in the moment. Um, 
So we don't quite get the power from just a documentary photograph, but I think that you can imagine like what, what, what would you do if you were walking down the street and saw this man crawling um, on his knees, hands and knees, you know, with a skate, dressed as Superman, you know, mm -hmm. with a skateboard on his back. So anyway, I think that, you know, there's something really, uh, Popel is uh, somebody who really deals with, uh, on a very visceral level, the kind of symbolic power of gesture. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, you see that not only in his performative works, but you also see that in his installations and sculptures as well. He's used giant flags and, you know, rotting, you know, uh, uh, um, deli meats. <laughs> He's mm -hmm. used all kinds of mm -hmm. materials in his works. I thought it was interesting. Um, the title of this really gives you an idea. It's called The Great White Way, 22 Miles, Nine Years, One Street, right. from 2000 to 2009. Um, I think this is really interesting, too. Uh, it struck me that there's that newspaper so clearly in the center and the idea that um, we're fed news, but but really there's a lot more that isn't fit to print and he's performing it. Mm. Um, yeah, very, very powerful. So I don't, how much time do we have? We've got an hour and a half actually. So okay. we have 40 more minutes right. and I've so only got, I think, from yes, yeah. I think we only have a few more slides here. Um, this was the one that you mentioned about the Dead Sea um, and the watermelons and that it is a, uh, a moving image and these are stills from that work. Just a spectacular series. And I also thought um, some of the things that I'd love to talk about if we have time is this idea of pairing and sequencing. And this image especially came to me over two issues that I think a lot about. One is titling your work because this is Dead Sea, but it's spelled S-E-E, -E, right? And then the yeah, other- Show the book, the sequence. So there's, yep. there's this one. And then you can sort of see as you turn the pages how she sort of, un, oops, that's the wrong way. That's Ana Mendieta. <laughs> so she follows Ana Mendieta. Yes. And, uh, and then um, you see it's Makes sort, sense. Of, sort of like un, unfurling, if you will, um, with the, um, these watermelons in mm -hmm. the Dead Sea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's Dead Sea in the but S E E. Yeah, yeah. But it also brought me back to um, film editing and this idea of sequencing and thinking about how filmmakers think in incremental shots, and we as still photographers can think along the lines of film editors, cinematographers, uh, moving. I once had someone in my concept aware class who came in who had a very rich film history. And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I like have been doing film for the last 20 years. And I'm like, oh my God, you are bringing an eye that everyone in this class is gonna learn from because he's anticipating what's going to happen. He's visualizing what did happen. Um, so I'm, I'm hot on thinking about the impact of film and editing in sequencing. I was on a, on a recent talk where sequencing came up and it was so underscored that people were really mystified about rules of it or how to do it. Um, so if we can talk about that at some point. Um, this is 
echoes what I was trying to say before. Films are concerned with the way in which a moment passes and becomes the next. This metamorphosis cannot be composed within the frame, but only through frames, from one frame to the next. And I think that that is so important. We get a lot of times people, I've heard image makers talking about their work as, well, I don't know when it's a series, I'm working on an individual image. And it's this ability to be porous there too. Like when is an individual image something that grows to something else? Like going that movement back and forth. Um, hang on. Well, I'll just say real quick that, you know, I mean, sure. from Maya Darren, I mean, who was also an accomplished photographer, um, but never saw photography. She saw photography as a way to make extra cash, you know, as a freelance photographer, mm -hmm. but she never saw it as her art form. Um, mm. She was really interested in the idea of becoming, that of transformation, that one image becomes another. So obviously in time-based media, that's more of a, the case. Um, mm. Mm -hmm. And you and I had talked earlier this week about the idea of, um, you know, you know, in, in if you had studied photography, if you could, you know, earlier in the 50s or 60s or whatever, um, sequencing would have been really important, right? I mean, because mm -hmm. books were the vehicle in which, you know, to mm -hmm. encounter photographic art. There were very rare, there were, were barely any uh, photography galleries, and even most museums really had very, paid very minimal attention to photography. So, but once photography was sort of accepted or absorbed into the larger art world in the 1980s, um, and you know the exhibition became took precedent over the book, and so people don't really speak uh, about sequencing as much as they used to. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that's returning because there is obviously a kind of renaissance in photo book making right now. So sequencing is now suddenly a hot thing, and thinking about how those things, how images relate to one another. Mm -hmm. But it's also interesting, especially we're, we're quoting here a dance therapist. I think it's so important to um, be porous in the mediums that you allow to be your inspiration. Um, and that idea of uh, sequencing is in choreographing a dance. It's the same in orchestration and music. Um, so leaning into those other aspects. So this is something somewhere in any emotional experience, the body enters. Um, and I, I thought that was beautiful. And I feel as if your book is about embodiment and, and again, the duality, right? That we are, we are, uh, we are limited in our body in the sense that this is our body and this is how tall we are. This is where we see the world from or however, but in other ways we are limitless. Like our body can do that. Our imagination is limitless. Like we can, we can experience we're grounded, but we're not grounded. Um, and I just thought this was really uh, fitting when I was looking at this image. Well, the, uh, the quote is from Maud Casey, who's a novelist and short story writer, um, um, fantastic writer. And so she wrote a short story uh, imagining this sort of, I don't know if that dance therapist is real or whether that's an actual historical quote or whether she just- Ah, interesting. Dance therapist as a character in the story. But um, yeah. anyway, but the idea is that, you know, through this woman who was like, um, you know, committed to some kind of psychiatric uh, institution, is liberated through her fantasies and moving her body. Um, and so this image is by Oliver Wasso. And um, I have to say, I want to do a shout out to Oliver because um, 
early on in the con conception of this book, Oliver and I were talking about collaborating um, on on the book or on something like that, or maybe a maybe an exhibition. Um, and for various reasons, that didn't you know we didn't pursue it. But um, but you know Oliver is a good friend of mine. We've we've collaborated. I uh, Saint Lucy published his book Friends, Enemies, and Strangers, and I'm a big fan of his work. And so I asked him if he would make some works pieces for the book. And so wow. he made these pieces of, of figures, either they're levitating or they're falling, you know, above cities. Um, and they're just extraordinary. They look like old photographs and um, they're completely invented, but they're just so convincing and I don't know, beautiful and haunting. And um, mm -hmm. so when I read Maud's story, um, I thought, oh, this, they have to be surrounded by Oliver's works, mm -hmm. by Oliver's images. So that's how that happened. That sequence, yeah, beautiful together. Um, we can, I wanna get through so we have time to talk to several of the people who are on the call that are in the book, but this was gonna be a question that I asked you, we can couch it, but it's basically taking a question from one of the writings in the book and giving it back to you. Isn't every photograph at its heart and once it's looked at an agent of reenactment? going back to our defining of photography um, or what is a photograph. So we just have a couple more um, images. These two are by the same artist. Sean Records, mm -hmm. who's based in Portland, Oregon. And I loved this. This was in reference to the Francesca Woodman image that's in the book, but again, being able, uh, how the writers were able to capture the movement you were after this. I, it goes back to the very first quote that you used in the very beginning of the book and this idea of us being able to, uh, to fly. I'm trying to think uh, about being heroic and about being winged. So this is similar. You are a swift angelic messenger flying between two envelopes, the envelope of God and that of this world. Without breakage, your wings, like paper lungs, you fly. I loved the metaphors. I, I think, I don't know, but Odette might be on the call. Can hold up that image? Yes, please. That's the Francesca Woodman photograph. Yes that she's referring to. That she's referring to. I mean, Carol Mavor is a, an, a, an amazing art historian. Um, she's written many books. Um, and I think that she, I mean, she's a, you know, a scholar, but she writes very performatively. Um, she writes, she kind of rewrites the idea of kind of scholarship as a kind of like active investigation, you know, um, that is almost theatrical and how she interrogates images and how images interrogate her back and forth. Um, so this piece that she's written as a kind of, um, you know, as a tribute and a, um, a deep and complicated tribute tribute to Francesca Woodman and what Woodman does to her, you know, mm -hmm. imagining um, her as in, the, in conversation with this young artist who took her life at 22 years old. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I just, I think of that um, Carol's piece and particularly as a kind of example of performative scholarship. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking I brought up Odette because of the uh, the metaphors, the paper lungs here, and I still uh, I laughed out loud with uh, Odette calling her first experience in a pool of um, people soup. Like, what are these people doing in here? Um, and we've just got three more, I think. 
So this, I just want to say that last image, that image is uh, Gabby Laurent, who's a young, um, youngish um, British artist. And uh, I didn't know about Gabby's work. I didn't Um, either. When I I approached uh, um, Susan Bright um, Mm -hmm. uh, to write something, she suggested Gabby Laurent. And so I just am so happy that she did. And again, I think that uh, Susan's piece is very much like what I said about Carol's it's kind of performative scholarship. I mean, Susan is like, you know, she is like, you know, very um, well, you know, esteemed uh, scholar um, and curator, but she wrote this piece uh, called 21 Notes on Falling with Gabby Laurent or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, mm-hmm. and it's very much a kind of performative piece. It's a kind of list of things, of the observations as, as opposed to kind of traditional academic scholarship. And it's a really, again, a really smart piece of writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really wonderful to go back and forth. This quote has to do with the f- the photographs we'll see right after. And it says, and we are in this picture, not just passive, disconnected viewers, but porous, interconnected beings who take in the vulnerability. The photograph becomes part of our story, of how we understand what it means to be human now. So incredibly amazing when you pair it with the photographs, Gideon's work and the title of the piece that was written is In It Together. Um, And this goes to his body of work around the world looking at the impact of climate change. Um, Yeah, so this series is called Submerged Portrait. So he's photographed people uh, all over the world um, Mm -hmm. who are dealing with rising waters. and, uh, you know, there's lots of reasons why that work is in the book. I mean, it's incredible work. Mm-hmm. But I also really wanted, I didn't want the book to just be um, about, you know, these sort of esoteric ideas. Mm-hmm. I think that um, it's very, the idea of floating and falling, the anxiety of climate change, um, the very real terror that it, you know, it should be invoking um, is real. And I wanted, I needed that to be in the book. When I saw Gideon's work, I thought, these are amazing uh, mm-hmm. for all, so many reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, again, so I sent out the PDF to, and no one chose to write about it. And so I approached Jane Marching because, um, well, because she's a great writer, uh, she's a friend of mine, and um, we've worked together before on other projects. And she's, uh, her work, uh, her concerns uh, are have to do with climate change. Um, and I knew that she was perfect for it. And so I approached her and, you know, she wrote this really beautiful piece about it, mm-hmm. about, the, about the photographs. Mm-hmm. I think this is taken about three years ago. And I, uh, from memory, I'm not sure if it was Nigeria. It's in Nigeria, um, yeah. And then uh, this was taken uh, maybe three years ago or less, but it's in, uh, the United States. It's in Mississippi. It's North Carolina, I think. North Carolina. Mm. Yeah. Just incredible, incredible work. And I really appreciate that, that you are um, Did you freeze, Sibylla? Yes, it looks like she did. Um, what should we do? <laughs> um, Just, um, Deb, I'd love to open it up. Um, 
Okay. Do you feel you okay with that, Deb? Yes, I'm okay with that. Um, would folks like to? Um, well, we were thinking about. Can I just say that we were thinking about asking people who were contributors to the book uh, if they feel like it, um, want to say anything about the process or whatever. And since we were just talking about Jane Marshing, I just think it would be a great idea to ask, see if Jane wants to say anything about Gideon's work or how she approached it or anything like that. Are you okay with that, Jane? Sure, sure. Hey, everybody. Um, uh, yeah, I Mark sent me uh, the photographs, and um, we had been talking about the book, and I've known Mark for a long time, and how he thinks about photography and who he is. And actually, Mark, the question I really want to ask you, so I'll ask now, and then I'll say a few things, and maybe you can think about it, is how the book is a kind of self-portrait of you in some way and if you think about it that way if you if how you might consider that but i i was actually super daunted to write about gideon's work um it's you know this global um you know project that uh is about the most urgent thing happening to humanity and he addresses it like no bullshit hardcore, um, incredibly profound. And I, I was very daunted. And so I, I chose to write really personally kind of stream of consciousness, just kind of, but I, and I felt um, very, uh, I felt a lot of permission to do that because I know that Mark was inviting poets and fiction writers and art historians and all different kinds of people. And that his frame was really wide for the kind of language, the kind of tone, um, the balance between sort of intellectual theoretical writing and and a real personal emotive um, vulnerable kind of writing. So I felt really a lot of permission to go with a ladder, which for me felt like a really nice balance, like the weight, the power of Gideon's photographs and my kind of like tiny little voice sort of trying to, you know, like show my emotional feelings. It was awkward. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Well, I just would like to say that um, there's nothing awkward about your writing, though. I mean, um, I understand uh, how uh, intimidating um, or daunting that could be, but you, you know, I knew that you would be you'd bring it with a certain sense of uh, gravity um, and reality because you've been thinking about these issues yourself for a long time. And as far as the self-portrait question, Jane, <laughs> it's just that I'm all over the all over the place, <laughs> and I try to give structure to that, right? Um, but I, I mean, I you know certainly that's I think part of it, but I, I don't really want to go there right now. But all right. <laughs> um, well, I see. Well, Oliver is right next to you on my grid. Um, we can ask Oliver about uh, making photographs about for the piece. How about that? Oliver, you're on mute. Can you unmute yourself? Hi, you can hear me? Yeah. Good. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, well, it, uh, yes, I can talk about making pictures for the book, although, um, as you know, it's a subject, this idea of um, floating is, in particular is something I've been interested in. Uh, for a long time and have made a lot of work um, that deals with objects that float uh, 
and you know the uh, and as my work has recently turned towards the body, it was kind of something I wanted to do uh, and came naturally, and 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 of course was excited to do it uh, in the context of a project um, that you were making. One of the things I wanted to to talk about though that really interests me is um, and that I thought about a lot when I was looking at the book is the idea of um, death or um, transcendence and you know so many of these things like <clears throat> floating there's this kind of duality between drowning on one hand but also you know kind of transcendently floating and life you know so you have this kind of Ophelia thing going on and with flying there's you know the sort of transcendence of of angels and flight but also you know something I certainly relate to is there's the fear of plunging to your death, um, you know, and fear of flying. And so with photography, I think, which has a pretty rich relationship uh, to this idea of death, manages to capture these moments, these kind of decisive moments, um, where that speak to both of those things, both this kind of uh, feeling of a loss of control, a fear of death or whatever, and also a kind of metaphor for spiritual transcendence or, or something like that. Um, so I guess a, as a question, I'm curious how much you thought about that when, when making the book. And I also just want to throw out there maybe because it's a particular um, interest to me, but um, you guys spoke a lot about the unique aspects of photography that address this issue, you know, the qualities, the inherent qualities of photography in the decisive moment and how it is different from a painting. But I wonder now as we enter a new phase of photography where photography increasingly comes to resemble uh, painting and other media that isn't so tied uh, to, to objectivity or to the illusion of objectivity, you know, whether uh, what will happen to photography's power to um, convey that. Uh, so that's a lot, but um, that's what I was thinking about. I hope you're not expecting me to answer that. <laughs> well, okay, let me let me throw a question. I'm not going there. <laughs> let me throw a question towards you then. Not forget the the last thing I said about you know the the um, shifting nature of photography. W what um, your attraction to this idea, which you know you. you been interested in for a long time. We've talked about a lot. Do you see it? At, do you recognize that idea of the kind of duality that on one hand it speaks to a kind of transcendence and on the other hand it speaks to a sort of terror, which I guess is the essence of the sublime, right? This this uh, tension between that which is beautiful and transcendent and that which is terrifying. Um, well, you I can't claim to have, um, you know, a very conscious agenda. You know, um, I am interested in, um, I mean, I think that my um, devotion to photography is deep um, and it has to do, it's continually renewing um, and it has to do with some of the things I've already talked about, you know, um, it's broad embrace of, uh, of the everyday and of culture and uh, history and uh, et cetera. Um, and uh, so, 
in my interest in performance, um, it, the the moment of performance, uh, as as somebody who's practiced performance, as somebody who has written about and thought about performance, as somebody who's been a photographer and also written about and thought about photography, this idea of the moment or being in the moment or the moment of the of the image, um, and how how many directions that those things can go, right? Like the, how fraught uh, when you're performing in public, you know, um, you know, on the street, for instance, which I did quite a bit, you know, the, the, how fraught that is in terms of like anything can happen, right? How the vulnerability of the body, um, the sort of spe spectacle of the body, um, the experience of the performer, you know, somebody passing by or the, the wind or the, the whatever it is, um, that there's something about, um, you know, the, the performative aspects of, of, of photography and its relationship to performance. And um, that has to do with like, get that, that just a kind of a sense essence of, uh, of our kind of mortality. And, um, you know, I just, I'll just say a little personal thing, you know, um, some of you know that, you know, um, a year ago, I was very ill, and I had already started, um, you know, running and falling. <laughs> um, and so it's, I can't say that, you know, being ill had anything to do with or it didn't influence the book at all. But once I came out of my illness, luckily, and, uh, you know, recommitted to making the book happen in the world, I was like, this, like, it means, it means a different thing to me now, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it is more fucking real to me than it was <laughs> it was it was real before you know but it was it was very conceptual and playful and um you know esoteric a little bit it feels very different now and i think also because it was simultaneous with covid right and our, our own sense of you know uh fragility culturally you know uh and, and uh, the body the whole entire body of the human body and then our, our 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 vulnerability as individuals you know um there's just some weird kind of coincidence like of these sort of of like my own trajectory health trajectory and covid and then this book and it's just like uh, to me it's like holy shit you know <laughs> like how did all these things come together and i i'm 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 it's strange to say this and i really have to say that i mean yes i am the editor of the book and yes i'm you know made it happen but to me there's this convergence of voices and images that i am unbelievably grateful and feel fortunate that these things came together in the way that they did um and I, I just feel like I just was like at the right place, at the right moment in a way, right? And just, and not to mention, I just know some wonderful people in the world, like you and Jane and Odette there. And this, you know, there's just wonderful people that I knew that could, would like this idea, right? Um, and who I could call on and say, hey, do you interested in collaborating on this? And they mostly would, people would say yes. And um, so, if you don't mind, I'd like to turn it over to Odette um, because um, I see you right there next to Oliver. Thank you, Mark. Hello, everyone. And a special hello Hi. to friends who I can see. It's so exciting. Um, I was so thrilled that Mark asked me to write because long before I thought I was a photographer or even used that word next to my name, I was a writer. And he had shown me these images of, that Larry Salton had made, which I was unfamiliar with. And he very kindly shared this personal story 
of talking to Larry about these pictures and the uncertainty that Larry felt around them. And so I, I immediately said yes. And the more Mark and I talked about it, the more I learned about the concept for the book, I kept thinking about how those words, and particularly around swimming, there's so many orientational metaphors around swimming, like diving in or being in the shallow end or having a sinking feeling or waving, not drowning. Uh, and the book is very much like that. You know, the idea of running on empty or falling in love. They're these big orientation maneuvers. And so when I spent time looking at Larry's photographs, I thought the only way I could really come at writing this was to put them in conversation with another picture where I felt uncertain. And the photograph I found was the only picture that I had, which was of, well, the picture in my mind that I had was this picture of, of, of me learning how to swim in a public pool, which it was more learning how to navigate a public pool environment because I learned to swim uh, in a very big river. And there was going from a, from a murky, dirty river environment to a pool that is clean and bright and you can see, it got me thinking about how how we learn to photographically see. And so that was the framework that I came at looking at, at Larry's images, that what did it mean to photographically see your past? What did it mean for Larry to photographically see these images that he'd made in a particular light that he felt a certain way about? What did it mean for me to revisit the past of this memory I have of this snapshot that was made? And, um, and that became the way of, of having some kind of conversation and being very upfront about you know, looking at a pool and thinking it was people soup and being mesmerized by the idea of chlorine and, and everyone swimming together and learning strokes. It all seemed so exciting. Um, but Larry's images, the longer I sat with them, they just, they're so warm and generous in their view. Um, and so it was, it, it became surprisingly very easy to write, write that particular piece. So I'm very grateful that, uh, that the opportunity came about. Hey, Sibylla. Uh, Sibylla, we lost you for a minute. Um, you're back. You did. We had a, uh, I guess, a circuit break. <laughs> it's the second time I've been dropped from my own meeting. So kind of nothing phases me at this point. But thank you for opening it up and carrying on. I'm delighted. I'll, I'll listen to my own recording to hear what I lost there. But yeah. Um, should we just go on? I know that sure. I think you had a few other people, maybe uh, writers. Mm -hmm. um, are you there, Jean? here. Um, I don't know if you were uh, there here earlier when we were talking about the Siskin photographs and what you wrote, but um, anyway, is, is there anything you'd like to say about the experience of your engagement with uh, Siskin's photographs in relationship to the concepts of the book? Yeah, I mean, uh, first, I just want to say what a lovely project I think this is. I, I, it's such a beautiful book. And um, you know, jumping off from what you were just saying, Mark, about how the meaning of the book has changed for you. I mean, that's something that was really interesting for me personally, because I've always loved this series, The Pleasures and Terrors of Levitation, just kind of unquestioningly. I've just always loved the series. And so to, to um, 
to think about writing them and then to revisit them and think about how the meaning of the work has changed for me over time and, and as I'm older was really interesting. Um, and, and how the series has taken on a sort of, um, I don't know if darker is the right word, but yeah, a darker, more complicated meaning for me. And I, I you know reading the book, it was interesting that um, Marvin Heiferman also misread one of Tabitha Soren's pictures and thought it was a reference at first to September 11th, which I did too when I first saw that particular picture from her running series. Um, but there, now I can't help but think of September 11th a little bit more when, cause I lived in New York at the time too. I live in New York now, but um, you know, looking at the Siskin pictures. So it's just, a, it's, it's, a, it's really interesting to me how photographs, you know, as you age and things happen to you, some good things, some bad things, and, and you just read images differently. Um, and, and sort of in a more, more complicated way. And that they have that ability and that openness to, to multiple readings, which is the other thing I really love about almost all of the pictures in this book are so elusive and open-ended. There are very few pictures that you look at them in the book and you go, all right, I know exactly what that's about. And that's one of the things that is so, uh, makes it such a great project, I think. Well, one of the things that I really love about, um, I guess I'd say that uh, I have relationships with images. <laughs> I, I'm very promiscuous, you know, in terms of like, um, I have multiple relationships with all of these images and I have, and they shift and change over time. And uh, I think about photographs a lot. Um, and my in, in, some, in some photographs I've been thinking about almost my entire life, mm. like photographs from my parents' wedding album. I mean, I've been thinking about those since I was five years old, since I was conscious, you know, um, or I've been thinking about, you know, Robert Frank's The Americans, you know, since I was 17, you know, whatever. Um, and I think a lot, we're, a lot of us are like that, right? We have these relationships with images um, that shift and change depending on our moods and depending on history and our lives, et cetera. And I'm really interested in that. And for, so, for me, part of the goal, I guess, of this uh, editorially was to represent that, you know, that these that different writers would ha have these different relationships with images. They're not just, you know, they're not just reference, right? They're things that we have, we care deeply about and are informed and moved by um, or disturbed by. And um, anyway, that's what I'm hoping is captured. And I, I think is captured in the, the variety of texts in the book. Yeah, I'm thinking about the idea. It's interesting to hear that your writers were spurred to think um, of their own evolution with different images. I mean, it brought people back. Um, and that is why this is the treasure of being able to know that every time you come to the book, you're different. Um, and what you're going to see and relate to is different. Um, should we open it up to people outside? Yes, you know, yes. Yeah, absolutely. That would Anybody be has lovely. any questions? You wanna... Just unmute yourself. Mm -hmm. 
I, Mark, I, I actually have another question. I, of course, I've already talked and would like to hear from other people, but I do have a question for you. Sure. Go for it. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to uh, insist on uh, directing it towards you um, again, as, as uh, Jane and I both attempted before. But, um, you know, one of the great things about working with you is that you're an artist, clearly. I mean, this is a, this is not, um, you know, this is a project that is, despite how inclusive you are, and, it, you know, one of the great things about you is that you're inclusive of, of, you know, as you said, sort of all aspects of photography, writers who approach from different uh, points of view, you allow other people in, it, 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 but, but it is a curatorial edited project of you that speaks to you uh, and, and, and you as an artist. And I guess I'm curious about those things um, that you chose not to put in the book as much as what you did choose to put in the book. Um, uh, Philip Halsman, is that the right name? Uh -huh. You mean like right. um, so Dolly Leaping with the Cats? Yeah, and this is somebody who's famous for photographing, you know, usually celebrities and stuff leaping. Or I think of um, Lenny Riefenstahl's uh, diver sequence. Right. You know, granted, photographs, but still it sort of speaks very much to this idea of the body in, in motion, but to a kind of fascistic aspect of it. Um, uh, and so, you know, we could come up with a, a dozen other things, uh, and, but I'm less curious about specifically why those things weren't included then, then sort of about talking a little bit about what your parameters are, even if it's just something that you've thought about after the fact and not during it. Um, again, I, I don't, it is more intuitive than it was um, theoretical. Um, yeah, I understand, I understand. You know, the Philippe Halsman uh, photographs, I mean, you know, they're, they're fun, but they're kind of, there's a kind of, uh, they're kind of whimsical and they're not really, to me, uh, they don't go to that place, which is a sort of in-between space where I'm not quite sure what I'm looking at. There's something, um, obviously they're performative, um, that there's a kind of, there's a amazing amount of sort of, they're, they're very animated and um, have a lot of energy. Um, and they're funny, but um, they don't have a, a darker edge, I guess, you know, they don't have a sense of, um, you know, I saw, I think, I don't know if Lily McElroy is still here, um, but, you know, her, and I mentioned this before, you know, her, I throw myself at men, which is, I mean, again, a, a great piece um, having to do with um, taking this phrase, you know, this sort of insult towards women, you know, she throws herself, you know, this idea of a loose woman, right, um, who throws herself at men and literalizing it, right? Um, and the going to bars and kind of literally throwing her body um, at these sort of unsuspecting men um, and having a friend just take a snapshot of it. There's something really funny about that and playful, but it is dark and it's, it's brave and it's courageous um, and it, and so there's that, um, but it's also totally connected to Eve Klein's Leap into the Void, right? I mean, there's a kind of like, you know, icon iconographic, you know, relationship there that I just love, right? So that if I see Eve Klein, I think about Lily McElroy <laughs> and, uh, or vice versa, right? Um, you can't, I can't see Lily's work without thinking about the history of images and gestures within the kind of 
tradition of um, you know photography and performance, um, and the idea of reckless abandon and how she literalized this thing, and and and, and in a way is braver than way braver than Eve Klein, right? Um, so um, yeah, anyway, so I just I, there were like the I looked at the the uh, Lenny Riefenstahl pictures um, of Olympic divers and stuff. And I also looked at uh, Rodchenko's photographs of, uh, of uh, athletes. I thought very close, very, I almost included Rodchenko. I mean, because I love Rodchenko. Um, and, you know, and Lenny Riefenstahl, um, you know, she's an impressive person, an artist, right? Um, but I guess, I don't know why I didn't. I just, I didn't want to, and somebody asked me about what about like the falling man from 9-11 um, or even uh, Robert Capa's uh, soldier being shot during the Spanish Civil War, uh, both of which obviously could be, would be appropriate um, or would, could be included. Um, but to me, like, first of all, the 9-11 photograph um, is very voyeuristic um, and there's just, I mean, it's horrifying and, and no doubt about that. Um, and I just, there's some, just something so inappropriate about looking at it. And, um, and I just, you know, didn't, I, I just felt like I didn't want the book to go there um, or it'd have to be addressed in some direct fashion. Um, now I know, and then somebody could ask, well, you have Sarah Charlesworth's fall, figures falling from buildings, right? Leaping or, you know, throwing themselves off of buildings. But the thing about, um, Charlesworth is that she's rephotographed them, blown them up, turned them into these kinds of like uh, sculptural, monumental objects, and you know she would show them in in a room together, and they become this kind of spectacle of um, of death and and desperation, and uh, it's it, because of the scale. I've I've seen them in person, right? So you you're you're kind of diminished by them, right? You the the viewer is the one who feels threatened by them. There's you know, something transformative about the experience of them. Um, and the Robert Kappa photograph, um, you know, it, it gets you know there are questions about the historical accuracy of that image, whether Kappa staged that photograph. Now that's an interesting idea and concept and something to explore, but I didn't want to go there in the book. I didn't want. I felt like that would in some ways undermine other images in the book as opposed to strengthening the book. And I know I didn't answer your question directly, Oliver, I'm so sorry. No, no, actually you answered it very much. I mean, this, this is the kind of thinking that I was curious about, like what, you know, uh, what goes into what is included and what isn't speaks to your, what you're interested in. I mean, if there's a historical specificity to Falling Man with 9-11. Um, there is the baggage of the politics of Lini Riefenstahl uh, and the Kappa piece and stuff. And I think that that, you know, there's a, in many ways, it allows you to kind of frame it within the poetics of create, of, of our, you know, of, of artists. And I think that that, the images that you did include from popular culture are sort of really float and are open and can be, you know, we can attach meaning to them ourselves, um, which is different, I think, than uh, even in a Halsman or something, which is very much associated with the artist, but without a lot of sort of mystery around it. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of, um, there's an article I'll put in the summary by Teju Cole that he wrote for um, the New York Times Magazine called No Photo Stands Alone. 
and he really talks about this, uh, our associations. And it sounds as if some of the images that you did not decide to put in had more associations than you wanted to have people negotiate. Um, and I just wanted to, um, I wanted, I see Lily came up in the chat if you want to pipe in. And I don't know if Arno Minkinen is still on, though he's not in the book, uh, is certainly an example of someone who um, uses performative work in his photography. So I just wanted to open it up. I know we're running a little over, but I'm, I'm happy to do that. So anyone else want to jump in? I'm game. Someone's asking if they can buy the book in the UK. Um, it's not distributed in Europe right now. Um, the only way to get it is to, you know, pay the exorbitant shipping charges uh, at, uh, you know, stlucybooks.com. Sorry about that. We'll put a link in also in the summary for people to buy the book. Uh, I wonder if I could make a comment. Yes, please. Hi, Arno. Hi, let me. Uh, unmute myself. I, it's a comment that that I think it, it pertains to all, all photographers, and 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 I wrote this down. We learn a lot about our own work when it's excluded from group exhibitions and books where ordinarily we would think it should be. So so that's a kind of another way of saying. I feel like I'm in a birthday party that I haven't been invited to. Um, but I'm thrilled with this book's concept, the artists that are represented, uh, and, and I can't wait to get a copy of it. And what I'd like to ask, uh, Mark, uh, as I don't know you, uh, is I'm looking at your bookshelf there and wonder if you might have room for another book. <laughs> if you're offering to send me a book, I'm like, yeah. I just, I just if it's his last one, it's a big one. <laughs> oh no, I know your work. Um, you know, you're kind of legendary. But that's why I was reluctant to kind of even come on. I was just so curious and, and loved the whole concept of the book naturally. So, so I don't need, I don't need any any more explanation than that. But, but I'm happy to hear what you're going to say. Of course. About why you're not in the book, or is it no? What about everyone? <laughs> no, not about that. Uh, about respond, but what do you want me to respond to? I'm sorry, I'm a little. Well, this this feeling among among how how we can learn about our work when when we you know like the aperture did a book called Swimmers, and I don't have anything in that. Uh, they also did a book about the body. I had nothing in that, uh, and so. So you know, I like to think sometimes that well, maybe I'm I'm really a European photographer, uh, but but I don't believe that. And 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 but but I think it's helpful for all of us who sometimes don't understand what is in our work truly, and we think there's something in it that maybe there isn't in it, and so we learn from it. We we maybe should make some shifts. Maybe we don't. But I see I find it very instructional, instructional and can be inspiring for, for younger students to, to, to make such, such admissions about our own work. You know, I don't know if this answers your question or your thought, but um, addresses your thought directly, but I feel like my entire career has been uh, responding to people saying no to me. 
<laughs> you know, I just feel like when I like when I was at Mass Art, for instance, um, in the early '80s. Um, that, I mean, it, their conception of photography was so narrow, you know, um, that uh, I just I was very uncomfortable. And the work that I I, I remember my first critique, and the instructor. Uh, who shall remain nameless, you know, came up to me and basically said, maybe you should be in the painting department. And I said, these are photographs, right? And he said, yes. I said, well, this is the photography department, right? <laughs> and he then again, like mentioned Walker Evans and like practically bowed his head and, you know, like he was uttering the name of Jesus or something, you know. I just feel like the idea that, um, uh, I have St. Lucie books because uh, other publishers said no to me. You know, um, mm -hmm. I have done uh, almost everything in my career out of love and, and enthusiasm and curiosity, of course, but also out of frustration. Like they won't let me do that. All right, I'm going to do it anyway. Right, I'm going to find a way to do that. Um, and so. Um, the original St. Lucie site, which I started in 10 years ago at, uh, in 2011, had to do with like, you know, as a freelance writer, you send out many, many proposals to different editors and magazines and that kind of thing. And most of which say they don't have room for it, right? Or they don't, that's not in their agenda. And I would say to myself, well, that's a really great idea. I wish somebody would publish it. I'm like, hello. You know, so I started the um, the website just to start, give myself permission to write those articles. All right. So, all right. So I wasn't making the 300 bucks that, you know, such and such a journal was going to like give me. So what, right? You know, I could still write the piece, right? Um, and St. Lucy started, St. Lucy Books started because I was, I was shopping around a, a group of, uh, I mean, a collection of essays of my own and um, nobody would nobody would uh, publish it, right? And then I was talking to Laura Larson, and uh, I knew that she was shopping her book Hidden Mother around. And I called her and I said, "Who's who are you sending your book to, and who's publishing it?" And she said, "No one will publish it. It's just too. It doesn't fit. You know, it's not a memoir. It's not a monograph. It's not theory. It's not art history. It's not photo history. It's all of the of those things." And I suddenly occurred to me, like, oh. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's what St. Lucie can do, right? I mean, St. Lucie should be a, should publish books, right? And so I feel like, you know, these, when I'm not included, as painful as that is, <laughs> I've always learned a lot from not being included and found a way to do it anyway and found a way to be in the world anyway. Um, so I'm, in, in many ways, I'm very grateful for all of the no's that I've gotten <laughs> mm -hmm. because they've been very instructive and, um, and, and catalyzed decisions or helped me to pivot um, my career or my life in some way that um, made it richer and more you know, diverse in some way. Such a wonderful thing to pull out from this, because when you said that, I laughed so hard because that could be the definition of my career. I, I've said it literally just this week in conversation. It's in reference to doors shutting my face. And it's like, well, I got to turn and, you know, yeah, make the path that isn't there. But um, and that idea that how the no's are, are, are leading you into uh, something else. And I just got the, um, when you were describing that, I couldn't help but get the reference to the land of misfit ideas, right? You're creating your own workshop. Uh, I wouldn't call them misfit. I think there's obviously uh, uh, a place for it. Um, but yeah, 
Arno, thank you for bringing up that that point. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have gone over. These are always hard for me to end. I'm I'm notorious for being the last one out of a party too. I shouldn't be in charge of ending conversations. So I just want to be like, okay, everyone get more coffee or tea. Um, but I am respectful of the fact that people have other things too. Is there anything anyone wants to add or share um, before we end? Um, I have a, a question um, that I wanted to ask Mark. Um, so every editor publisher has a different amount of influence in the work that they are producing. And I just wondered, how would you compare this particular project, say, with other projects that you've done regarding that? In terms of publishing? In terms of the amount of influence that you may or may not have on the particular project. Do you know what I mean? Because editors, sometimes they are very involved with a specific project, and sometimes it's it's uh, directed more by the people that are actually in the project themselves. So I just was curious um, if this was something that you felt sort of like really kind of like the director of a film kind of thing or, or not. Well, so, um, you know, everything is self-funded. Um, you know, I don't have to run anything through a committee um, and that's freedom. I mean, there are limitations to that for sure, right? There are financial limitations. There are limitations in terms of distribution. Um, which is a challenge for small book publishers. Um, so, but I am quite content, I don't know if that's the word, but certainly um, happy with the idea, with how um, that it represents for better or for worse, you know, my interests and my passions and my enthusiasms. Um, and there aren't a lot of filters now, you know, I mean, I've tried to, in many ways, try to, run my career, whatever the hell that means, you know, in a way that is as honest as possible, that I could follow my curiosities and passions as directly as possible without looking for permission. I mean, when you have, to, I mean, when there are lots of gatekeepers, um, you know, if the gatekeepers like you, it's fantastic. You know, it's like, oh yes, let's do, here, here's the funding here, do something, you know, that's wonderful. That's, it's rarely my, been my experience, right? Um, so, um, the idea of I've changed because, um, you know, again, not to keep harping on this, I've changed because of my experience at Massachusetts College of Art when the photo faculty said, that's not photography, that's not what we do. I suddenly realized I had to define and defend myself in a way. I had to like figure, I had to justify like, what was this interest? In, what, how is my definition of photography different, right? And that set me up on a kind of like, I wouldn't say defensive, but I just would realize that I could define my path in relationship or even in opposition to institutions. Um, and um, so St. Lucie Books is at this point, you know, I mean, it's a small concern. It's just me and it's only been five books, although there are two more books coming out this year, but um, I love it. You know, I love every aspect of it. I mean, it's again, there's a lot of frustrations um, and it's there's there's daunting work and there are hurdles, but I, I, it gives me a kind of, I can use the, my skills as, um, you know, as, as, as Oliver pointed out, as an artist, you know, I have sympathy for artists. I am identify as artists. I'm on the side of artists. <laughs> and um, 
And so I want to be in dialogue with other artists, but as somebody who's also written and taught and you know published a lot of stuff for other publishers, I've had some experience there. So I'm actually able to kind of use a lot of different skills. And, um, and that's just, I feel useful to myself, <laughs> which is, you know, I think a good feeling overall. Thank you, thanks. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to understand the perspective. Thank you. Yeah. Anything, any last minute questions or comments? I, um, I did lose to, the opportunity to, to, to share with you my last slide, which was one of Sig Harvey's. Um, and uh, an image I wasn't familiar with of hers, and I know all her work pretty well, um, but I love this last quote, uh, and it's inhale ocean, exhale sky. And it was just really fun to um, feel the reverberation between the imagery and the text. And, and uh, I think I came up with the word enchanted. It's always a challenge to like capsulate what is this book or what is this experience? And, and the word that I came up with for this book was it's enchanting. So thank, thank you. you for that. I just want to say for Sig Harvey, she's the only person in the book who has words and images. Mm -hmm. um, I loved her photographs. That, you know, I love her photographs too. She's also a very good writer. Mm -hmm. um, if you know her work, you know her books, you know, she's a very good writer as well. And so um, I asked her about uh, including a few of her images and she said, can I write something as well? And I said, well, that's hardly a regular Sig. And I, <laughs> but I just said, yes, of course. I mean, why, how could I say no? I said, yes. Um, and she wrote these two beautiful, you know, deep, you know, poetic and heartbreaking pieces. So. Well, and actually what's amazing, uh, it's interesting because I didn't know that about Adette, that she was a writer before a photographer. That makes perfect sense. Um, but with Sig, um, the word is really her, well, emotion as well, but she has a very specific way of creatively working with words to, to foundationally move towards her images. Um, if you've ever taken a, a workshop with her. And uh, so it's not surprising that that's so tied, but it's lovely that you gave her that opportunity too. So... Well, this has been so delightful. It's just, as is the book. Um, and I can't wait to see what the next two publications are. Do you want to mention them? Or I don't know if you can or wherever they um, are in their stages. Um, the, the next one that comes out in uh, probably May is Bree Souders, a monograph. Um, and in the fall, I'm doing a book with Odette England. Great. So um, they're both going to be amazing. So um, more, there'll be more on St. Lucie soon about uh, sort of preliminary information about those publications. That's great. And I just want to um, share, Safi, uh, one of your former students has written in the chat to say, thank you. You were one of the most influential photography professors in my formative life. And uh, that's in the chat. Well, Safi is fantastic. She's a really great photographer, artist herself. And um, yeah, she was a student at UCLA when I taught there and um, she's amazing. So mm -hmm. thanks, Safi. It's great to see you there. That's so good. Well, we'll, we'll have to get you a copy of the chat uh, because it's a lot of um, praise for what you've done. And thank you for your generosity, uh, both in 
what you orchestrate. Um, and, uh, and it's really fun to listen because of how you weave in your understanding and, and you, you, it's like one of those things where you really learned it's, it's something similar to music, right? When someone can improvise because they actually really know some tenets of musicality. And I feel like that weaves through your work that you are not a Walker Evans devotee, but you definitely can weave in and out with, uh, canons a bit and uh but not be but not be constricted by them so that's wonderful and uh we're the better for it well thank you and i'm really super appreciative of your time and your attention and attention of your you know your the people who come to the came to this uh, thing today it's been an honor likewise thank you so much and thank you everyone who came and spent time with us mm-hmm. um now i'll have to go figure out which circuit blue. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you.